Eia ho mako e ho alauna ike kahi mau ho manu ho aku. Vahia kahiko o hika manu o keau. O ka uau a me ke kolea na manu o keia la. Aloha kakou. The olalono eau or poetical saying that Lei just shared makes reference to the native seabird, the uau, who is praised for their persistence, diligence, and perseverance as they fly daily to the sea to secure their food. We honor the uau and other manu in this episode and celebrate their amazing feats. Welcome to Kaleo Kaulua. Our current season of Kaleo Kaulua highlights our deep connections with our avian cousins, the native birds of Hawaii. All season long, members of a group called Ahui Manu will be joining us to share about this connection between Kanaka and Manu. Hi, Ahui Manu is a group of people dedicated to our collective recollection and reaffirmation of our ancient and contemporary bonds with the Manu people, the native birds of Hawaii. With each episode, our Meakipa will lift up the names, characteristics, and places associated with particular native bird species, including their appearance in an oli composed to celebrate each one and their relationships with life forms Mauka and Makai. Many of the birds are grouped together by their superpowers that each Meakipa will introduce. Today, we have the privilege of having Andy Buzzkirk join us to share about the super manu we are calling Long Journeyers, with special attention to the Uau and Kolea. Drew, would you like to do the honors? Hiki no. Andy Buzzkirk is happy to be employed by Hawaii Island Forestry and Wildlife, where she's able to work hands-on with plants and animals and share about them with other people. Andy grew up in the South Carolina Low Country, went to college to major in anthropology, worked as a farmer and furthered her education, earning a master's in environmental science and becoming a horticultural therapist. Andy's grateful to have lived and worked in Hawaii for more than 10 years and is blessed to call Ola a home. Mahalo for that, Drew. Let's go over to Andy now. Aloha, Andy. Hi. Welcome to our podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. We're really happy about it, and we're looking forward to having you share with our listening audience some aspects of a couple special um, native bird species of Hawaii and you know what makes them special, um, the areas that they inhabit, um, any personal experiences you have with them. And yeah, mahalo nui for being with us today. Mahalo for the opportunity. Yeah, I'm stoked. Aloha, I want to echo what Drew said and, and welcome you to Kaleo Kauluau. We're excited to hear your mana'o on a couple of our native Hawaiian bird species. E olu olumai, we're e- eager to hear what you have to say. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, I wanted to share about um, two birds. Uh, what they have in common is a Hawaii and Alaska connection. Um, so that's the uwa'u and the kolea. They're pretty different in their life ways, but um, they are long journeyers. They, um, they have a talent where they fly across the ocean. Uwa'u, I, I guess I want to describe first. They are endangered birds. Um, only about 4,500 pairs exist in the whole world. As we learn about sort of the mystery of their life cycle, we have to go into these rugged places. That's in the lava flows on Mauna Loa and also in the Kohala Mountains, where they're using either gaps in the lava or gaps in the tree roots to make burrows and raise a chick. We've also discovered one burrow on Mauna Kea where they're using um, cracks in the rocks there as well. Um, So these landscapes are so far from human inhabitants, and 
the in the case of the lava fields, it's um, uh, and some pohoihoi flows and um, it's hot and it's in the middle of nowhere and it's um, somewhere where you wouldn't imagine a bird would make a nest, but they do. Um, they're nocturnal and cryptic. So wildlife conservationists are really challenged to locate them and study them in the first place. Um, did, sorry, did you use the word cryptic? Mm-hmm. Cryptic is a word that sort of means mysterious mm. or um, difficult to study. Um, it's a great characterization of them. Mm-hmm. Yep, nocturnal and cryptic birds. Um, Uwa'u are neat-looking birds. They have a three-foot wingspan. They are dark on top with white bellies. They have a very rounded head, circular eyes, and a hooked beak. Um, the thing that I think is cutest about them is that their feet and legs are mostly pink, mm. but their feet look like they've um, stepped in ink. So they have webbed toes, and just the um, bottom half is kind of black. Mm. Um but, you know, it, mostly we don't see them up close. We see evidence of them. So when we're hiking in the lava fields or we're looking in cracks in the rocks, um, you're looking for their poop or you're encountering um, their smell. Mm -hmm. Uwa'u are seabirds that eat fish and they have an odor. So we can detect them um, with bird dogs in the lava fields, dogs that are trained to search for uwa'u. Um, and my, my co-worker, Brett, who joined you guys on a previous podcast episode, he, he himself detected an uwa'u uh, based on its scent with his own nose in the Kohala Mountains. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> That's a neat thing about seabirds is they're a little bit stinky. Um, <laughs> But they're they're an important bird to Hawaii. They used to be numerous. Um, it's said that they were very useful for wayfinding and for voyaging. And when, um, you know, pre-contact, when it was the people of Hawaii um, encountering these birds, uau'u chicks were a delicacy. So they were eaten. Um, and that's probably because the chicks are fed a really rich diet in, in their early days, they're not doing a lot. They're sitting inside of a burrow. So the parent birds, um, before they're able to have a chick, they do a courtship that begins in March and they cooperate to incubate their egg. It takes 60 days and then they begin feeding their chick. Um, and they have this really mysterious thing where one parent flies to the Bering Sea, which is in the waters around Alaska, and feeds on oil-rich fish. This takes about 17 days. The other parent is taking shorter trips in the waters around Hawaii, catching fish and provisioning the chick. And somehow the parent birds switch. Hmm. And they alternate short and long trips, and they do this for four months until the chick fledges. That is so interesting. Yeah. They can fly 43 miles per hour Oh, that's while fast. they're doing these long and short trips. So they really, um, 
they can get where they're going and they're loyal to their route. We have been able to place transmitters on the backs of Oua'u and see how do they enter and exit the islands from which directions. Mm. And um, yeah, it's, it turns out they're loyal to their route. Um, so Andy, were you saying that they, the, the trip that the Oua'u takes from Hawaii to the Bering Sea in Alaska is 17 days? Is 17 that- days. Can, do you have any ideas about why, what like what the rationale is for an Oua'u to like take that specific route and go to that specific place, the Bering Sea? Like what draws them to that area, do you think? My intuitive answer is that there's some deep knowledge and instinct mm. that's part of the birds that drives them to do this. Um when I think about it in a biological terms, I'm thinking that, um, you know, cold waters have a lot of nutrients and mm-hmm. there's an upwelling and Uau'u are eating from that top layer of the ocean as it is. Mm-hmm. So they're getting really nutrient dense um, food in, in that particular water. Mm-hmm. So there must be a cost benefit, but yeah, there's a lot of mystery around the birds. Mm-hmm. Um other people may know the answers, but yeah, it's it's just an amazing cooperation mm-hmm. that the parent birds have. Um, a neat thing to share too is that, you know, they take care of their baby for four months, but then their baby learns to fly and it leaves and it leaves for five years. It goes out to sea for five years before coming back to Hawaii to do its own courtship and find its own burrow. So what's happening and what kind of education the seabirds are getting in those five years, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, they, 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 they leave and they don't touch land for five years. They don't. Oh, wow. So they, they just land on the, on the ocean and, and feed from there, but not mm-hmm. returning to soil. Yeah, truly seabirds. They, their primary function when they are in the landscape is to take care of that baby and to create that nesting space. Do you think during those five years they're like isolated from other Oahu or do they, do you think they gather together when they're out at sea? Um, They do. Mm -hmm. I, um, I know it most from Uwaukani, which is a different species, but they are pretty social and you can, um, you can observe their behaviors in the water, and I suspect Uau, just Uau, um, do some of the same. But they're they're so endangered. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I definitely haven't seen it myself. I wanted to share that um, when we think about native Hawaiian birds and endangered birds that um, live so far away from humans, sometimes the everyday person is thinking, how do I connect or how can I help? And um, the one thing that I think everybody can do is keep cats indoors. And that seems probably kind of disconnected, but it, it truly isn't because we've seen predation in far out places from cats. And a cat, a pet cat that's kept indoors never has the opportunity to become feral or to go far from home. Um, so we do have a feral cat problem, but we also, we really can keep our pet cats indoors and not, not risk losing them. Um, and 
you know, also by extension, keep them out of these wild spaces where our special native species, um, you know, are doing their best to perpetuate themselves. Mm-hmm. Speaking of these wild spaces, where, where again, do the Ua'u live and where do they make their burrows here on Hawaii Island? Yeah, um, on Hawaii Island, we've been able to locate Ua'u either by sound or by um, seeing their poop or smelling them in um, the Mauna Loa Forest Reserve. In um, It's a big place, but um, in the lavas there, also in the Kohala Mountains, and one, um, one very fortunate um, finding on Mauna Kea. Um, but Uau also live in other islands in our chain. So they live on Maui, Lanai, and Kauai. And um, there's a person who's really responsible for what we know about, um, about their routes and about where they go. And his name is Andre Rain. So he, he leads research on sort of their, we'll call it their airport, mm-hmm. where they um, come and go from. And he sees that um, they are loyal to their route, but um, but every once in a while he puts a transmitter on a bird that takes um, a slightly different route. So um, something is happening in their internal compass that gets them to and from Hawaii in the Bering Sea. Um, and also in the waters all around us. Um, but there's there's a lot of mystery around Uau'u. And um, that's, that's kind of the fun of the research. Um, where it all comes together between, you know, predator control and learning about their behaviors and learning about where they're going is something we call adaptive management. And that is a term that we use in natural resources to say, you know, we're we're using logic, we're using science, and to the best of our ability, we want to conserve and protect this resource. It's maybe kind of strange to think about a bird as a resource, but, um, you know, because they are living beings and they're individuals, but also as a species, they mean something to people. They exist here and nowhere else in the world. They're shared in that way, too, because they they have value in and of themselves, but also in a cultural way and in an ecosystem services way. Ua'u poop on the land, and when they were numerous, they were doing a real fertilizer function for the slopes of the mountains that they inhabit. Um So they are a resource, and when we manage them adaptively, it means that as we continue to learn and discover what remains to be known about their life ways, then we can manage better, and we can be flexible to make changes and do better. Yeah, the second bird I I really want to share about is Kolea. They're shorebirds. Um, they complete a nonstop migration from Alaska every year, and that's a part of their life cycle. Their trip is 3,000 miles, and they do it nonstop, so it takes them three days. Um, And they're loyal to their places in Hawaii. So if you see one in your front yard, 
one year, the next year, it's possible that it's the same Kolea. Um, and in, I guess, in my line of work, we call this site fidelity. So yeah. that's a vocabulary word that means they are loyal to their place. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they're diverse in the places that they like. They like um, coastal areas, but I've, I've seen them um, in mountainous areas as they're well. They're in Mountain View. Yeah, they go yeah. to Mountain View. So at least 2,000 um, foot elevation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so they're diverse. You know, they um, they are on their skinny long legs with their pointy beaks and their eyes, and they are locating their prey by sight. Um, so they're poking around wherever they go. Um, and they're on a mission because um, although they do spend most of the calendar year here in Hawaii, they go reproduce in Alaska, and that's a very important thing for them. So they need to get fat to do that. Um, so I guess to describe the time that they spend in Hawaii, they begin arriving um, in late July, and it's the females that come first. Having successfully had a baby over there, they are ready to come and start eating. And then the males arrive kind of mid-August and they trickle in and the offspring join everybody in Hawaii in October. Mm -hmm. And when everybody gets here, the coleas all kind of just look yellow and buff, speckly. Um, so it can be hard to tell who's who, but in February is when they begin to molt. And the males will become dark at the chest and belly and the females become brighter you know, um, still speckly. And I'm sorry, you said that the babies join them? Do the juveniles migrate to Hawaii wow. from Alaska as well? Mm -hmm. But they come afterwards. They come in October. <laughs> mm. And do they come in, do they fly in flocks? Do they make this migration in flocks? Or do you think they come as individuals? Yeah, I'm imagining they come in some numbers. One of the things that I think is important to share about Kolea is that um, sometimes there's a reference we make to Kolea getting fat and leaving or like taking and leaving from this mm -hmm. place. And sometimes um, people will even compare humans to Kolea, like, oh, that person got wealthy and left. And it's seen as a bad thing. But because we know that Kolea spend most of the calendar year here, um, it's, I, I feel like it's not totally a fair reputation that they have um, because not only do they spend their time here, but they, um, they very likely brought some of the plants that we think of as our typical forest plants because um, they're, they're eating invertebrates here for the most part but in their breeding grounds in Alaska, they're eating berries. And we know that our native plants arrive via wind, wings, and waves. And in this case, we can, it is a speculation, but it's an educated guess that Kolea will have brought seeds from the plants that they're eating in their bellies to Hawaii. And so Ohello is one of the ones that we suspect has a Hawaii-Alaska connection. Oh. So hello is related to blueberries, and there mm -hmm. are wild species of blueberries in Alaska that would mm -hmm. be forage 
for the Kolea while they're there. Um, so that they're contributing to this landscape um, and they are spending their time with us. And not only that, I think in, a, um, in the contemporary world um, or in the modern world, it's really hard for most people to get involved with native species birding. You know, what we mostly see around us are introduced birds. But the Kolea do come to us in our own yards. And um, I think it's a great opportunity for people to build a curiosity about their behaviors and and how is it that they make this annual trip and how how is it that they almost look like they're floating on their tiny um, spindly legs. And um, it's just a fun way that children or adults can kind of cultivate a birdwatching habit. Um, and I, I guess I wanted to mention, too, that there's a Kolea account that gathers information among all the islands about, you know, the first arrivals and um, and they count the birds. And this is a citizen science project. So there are ways that people can engage with um bird science and research and contribute to, I think mostly we're learning a little bit about seasonality through the first arrivals of Kolea. Um, and shifting seasonality too, right? Mm -hmm. As a result Definitely. of climate change, perhaps, right? Definitely. And the fact that they return to at least their general spot each year over time, you can you can build a little bit of a relationship with that bird because uh -huh. yeah, I've built my own where we had five that were up by our house, and then it dwindled down to three. Mm. But over time, you're able to see oh, the bird's back, yeah, <laughs> back again. And then you don't notice as much when specifically they leave, but then you do notice that they left. Yeah, they're um, they're sweet little birds. They're a part of. Hawaii and I think um, uh, you know I've I, I think it's important not to take for granted what we have around us I love I totally love them and I see the same ones like every day and I'm like oh hi mm -hmm. I remember you from last year mm -hmm. yeah um, so I guess having shared a little bit about what I think is cool or natural resource considerations and just different stuffs so I want to um also share a verse from our Ahuimanu um, mele that we are constructing as a group. Um, the mele is called Okalele Ane Auna. Um, and what it hopes to do is to build relationships between our birds that need our help and water creatures and land plants and create vitality and energetic connections where we can say um, that we, we see things in common. And likewise, we also appreciate differences, but we're, we're bringing strength um, to the birds that need it. And so I have a verse here for Uwa'u. And um, I, I'm going to speak the words and then share about what I understand the meaning to be. Um, so, 
hanao ka uau kani kiai ie ke kohola noho ikai ola a mauloa ika pukiave noho iuka oka uau auna lele a paa paahia and so i'm not a speaker um and i'm still a student but um my understanding is that this means um born is the uau and sing um guarded by the whale in the ocean with life um from pukiave in the mountain um fly uau and make solid paa it means sturdy mm. beautiful yeah and this is to help the idea of having our native bird species thrive mm-hmm. and and continue to build that resilience in mm-hmm. these landscapes yeah we want we want people to n- notice what's around them to look to the sky and in the case of an endangered bird that not everyone can see um spread the consciousness that it it does exist and it is something of value um and we can we can participate and help in this way by sending good thoughts out there and those different life forms of the sea and of the the mountain region can um work together with the uau to support each other right is that kind of mm-hmm. part of the idea too Yeah, I like this verse. Uau and the whale also mm. share an Alaska Hawaii connection. Mm-hmm. You know, it's also mm-hmm. part of their birth cycle and perpetuating themselves and um to have it linked to the pukiave, which is this evergreen. Pukiave though is a green year-round plant. Um that yeah, is is in the environments that where they come to have their babies. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that Huimanu um thinks is fun and also a way to help spread this vitality is Wikani Manu, which is our way of making the song and having fun. Um uau sounds like uau uau nice Kolea has a much more of a whistle. <laughs> oh, mahalo. We got it all practice now. Yeah. <laughs> We have to learn the language of the birds. It's a challenging language to learn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they feel the same way about ours. <laughs> What made you choose these two birds? It's it's amazing to f- fly such a long distance and for different reasons, you know? Um but it's amazing that they do this instinctively and have the capacity to find their way back time and time again. Mm-hmm. Andy, if if people want to learn more about um Wa'u and Kolea, are there particular resources you might direct them to? Sure. Um our website for the Department of Land and Natural Resources, Forestry and Wildlife, DLNR DOFA. Um we have fact sheets where you can access quick information about these birds and many others. 
um, in particular to Uau'u, the seabird recovery projects on the various islands um, are experts in that. Um, and in particular to Kolea, the Kolea account is a great resource. Um, I also just for all all things bird and bird enthusiasm, I love Birds of Hawaii, past and present. Mm-hmm. Um, That's on Instagram, Instagram, and Facebook? Facebook. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those would be my recommendations. Right on. Mahalo. Mahalo. We're really um, privileged, and, and it's been a pleasure to have you here sharing about these really special, amazing, amazing, wondrous birds with us today in our listening audience. So, Mahalo, Andy, we really appreciate what you shared. Mahalo nui. Thanks for your time. Yeah, I appreciate it. Mahalo nui to our meakipa, Andy Buzzkirk. That was not only informative, but fun. Yes, we learned about the amazing abilities of the Uwa'u and Kolea to journey far across the ocean for thousands of miles and return to the islands in the middle of the sea. Mm-hmm. We must have so much respect for our manu who are able to live such incredible lives and we should work to ensure their protection and well-being. To learn more about Ahui Manu and our manu friends in general, you can follow at birds underscore Hawaii underscore past present on Instagram or birds of Hawaii the past and present on Facebook. Also, don't forget to check out our blog at hilo.hawaii.edu slash uluau and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Mahalo for listening, everyone. Ahui ho. Aloha.